So, sauerkraut. Yes. Sour cabbages. What do you know about sauerkraut, Brandon? Sauerkraut? I know a few things about sauerkraut. You like to read, so. I like to read. I like to eat sauerkraut as well. And I'm just making a batch of sauerkraut right now in the harsh crock that we have. Got a 7.5 gallon one. Yeah, I see that. It's filled with a lot of cabbage. And what else? Cabbage and salt. Because that's pretty much what makes up sauerkraut. Um, It's one of the simplest foods to ferment. Fermented vegetables are are the simplest things to to ferment, but specifically cabbage, very, very simple. Shred up some cabbage, add some salt, and let it sit. Shred, salt, sit. The triple S's of sauerkraut. Although I hear, or I even experienced it, you can even screw up a recipe such as shredding up cabbage and putting salt in it and letting it sit. Yes, it is possible to, 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 to ruin it as well. <laughs> and, and, and that happens through different things that we'll get into a little bit more in a little while. Uh, the different factors, again, sauerkraut, super simple, but there are things that can go wrong and it's nice to know what those things are and it's pretty simple to fix. So basically it's very rarely once you get used to making sauerkraut, and especially if you do it the kind of the same kind of way, if you start experimenting with things like any kind of fermentation, it's eventually going to end up being something you're going to get a crazy something every once in a while and it's going to mess up. But that's the great thing about sauerkraut as opposed to yogurt or uh, kefir or any of the other kind of fermented things that have starter cultures that you have to add. All the cultures are on the outside of the cabbage to begin with or on the leaves of the cabbage. Um, the lactic acid bacteria that are going to ferment the sauerkraut are actually on the cabbage. And that's why we don't have to add anything. You can add a starter culture to, to sour, to sour cabbages. To, are you saying adding sauerkraut to a sour or cabbage and salt? Well, okay. So yes, there's different things you could do. You could inoculate a batch I, of sauerkraut, but I would not recommend doing that. Some people say it gets it started a little bit faster, but it does it all itself anyway. And some of the literature argues that by allowing it's the whole process, the the whole entire process in the the transformation that it goes through. When you add something in, it is going to change the flavor profile of the, and the finished sauerkraut. And so by doing just a normal thing without adding anything to it, without adding any sauerkraut from a previous batch, without adding um, any kind of starter culture, because you can get freeze dried starter cultures, just like you can get freeze dried yogurt cultures. Why would you do that? Well, commercially, consistency i guess could be one one factor in there but even commercially this is one thing that is not uh starter cultures are generally not used in commercial production as uh, either you know they they do the same thing that you're going to do at home this is for sauerkraut though only right you're yeah for oh, sauerkraut okay, okay. That, that's what we're talking about right so make sure yes for sauerkraut the you know the commercial production they're just doing it on a much larger scale and uh you know, in throughout history, it's been done on a larger scale, not as large as commercial today, but, um, but traditionally sauerkraut was made in wooden barrels. So slice up, dice up, you know, basically removing the core and then shredding thinly the cabbage and then putting that in a salt brine, which really you don't even have to add water unless you're doing whole cabbage like they do in Croatia. Uh, sometimes uh, where 
if you're fermenting the entire head of cabbage, obviously you're not going to get any water out of the leaves. But basically when you add the salt into cabbage that's that's been shredded, chopped up, um, finely sliced, however you want to say it, once you add the salt to it and mix that up, even before you start tamping it and and um, and, and pressing down on it, that salt is uh, is helping the water release through osmosis. It's it's breaking down the and then especially once you start um, tamping on it, you take like a wood uh, bat or spoon or fist. I generally use my fist, clean fist. That's wash your I hands, sanitary. Grew up watching my parents do. They use their fist. Yeah, just press down with their hands. Yeah, just press down with your hands. I just use my fist because it's I don't want to hurt my fingers, bend them backwards. So I just use my fist. Just press in there, and uh, basically you're breaking down the cellular walls. Releasing even more water. And Crazy how much water can be in a cabbage. Cabbage is uh, cabbage. 90 to 95% water. So that's basically what you're just, you know, you're getting all that out. And it's, you can add a salt brine, but that's where a lot of the, like the flavor is coming from. Um, I mean, so, I mean, you can play with it, I guess. You can do no, just just not. smash it, just smash it. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's what's nice. Well, about commercial, that too. commercially, they are like generally some places. I don't know how, what the difference is is now, but like traditionally, in commercial operations in the stainless steel vats, they would actually remove most of that water that was formed, and I don't know if they were adding more in afterwards or whatnot. But that was like a large waste, and I'm sure it still is in in major production lines is all that that water so waste delicious. from cabbage they should just sell cabbage water cabbage water or sauerkraut water i mean sauerkraut water. yeah no they're doing it before it's even fermented they're they're removing it just to um by pressing on it what do yes you once it's pressed then they remove a lot of that water oh okay you don't obviously want to do that because you want that water to be above the um the cabbage correct to keep it in its own bubble yeah, Protect well, it. it's a bubble. Yes, it's it's anaerobic fermentation, and basically, when commercially or at home, you're mashing down the cabbage and having sure that salt's all nice and mixed up. Basically, what you're doing is creating an anaerobic environment. In that anaerobic environment, is what starts the fermentation process. It's the anaerobic bacteria that start taking over. That that start the initial process, they get the ball rolling because in all honesty, there's only about um, definitely less than 2%, but there's like a, a one to one and a half percent bacteria, the lactic acid bacteria. That's all there is in the cabbage. One less than 2% of the cabbage. Sorry, let me start that over again. The bacteria on the cabbage before fermentation, because vegetables naturally have bacteria on them, but there's only about uh, 1.5% of the bacteria covering the cabbage. That's all there is. That's all you need though. You don't need much. And that's why you don't have to use a starter culture. You don't have to do anything like that because the bacteria are on there. And once they get that magical uh, combination of the proper temperature and salt ratio and the mashing down Basically, the water fills up the air gaps, and so then you get that anaerobic environment. And so once that anaerobic environment starts, it gets the ball rolling. And for those first uh, days or two, 
um, it's that first stage of fermentation. And um, that's what creates the acidic environment. And once that acidic environment is, is formed, uh, and that's really kind of in that first or second day. And then by second plus days, you're going to start seeing seeing bubbles. And those bubbles, that's the gas phase. The uh, heterolactic bacteria, as they're referred to as the gassy bubbles, those are the ones that are um, are going to start taking over. Once, because again, it's it's a procession. We start the anaerobic bacteria take over. They create the acidity and then the uh, gaseous bacteria take over, the uh, heterolactic bacteria take over, and then they create the proper environment for the, f the third stage where the lactobacillus species of bacteria, the, um, the, the non-gas phase starts, and this bacteria is what eats the remaining of the sugars or processes the remaining of the sugars and and just keeps lowering that pH level. Now, in again, separating commercial from home use, commercially, there's two different forms of uh, sauerkraut in the market. You can get the sauerkraut that most of the time people see on the shelves. The majority of sauerkraut on the shelves is going to be, um, what's the word, pasteurized. It's going to, yes, it's going to be the canned version of sauerkraut. That really only takes that, that those, those stages really only take, uh, seven to 10, uh, days to go through. And at that point, then that can be canned. Wait, I'm confused. If it's pasteurized, is it even live sauerkraut? No, it's not live at the point of pasteurization because that kills the bacteria that's in it, but it has to be fermented to begin with. I am confused. What are you confused about? The bacteria are killed in the pasteurization process, but basically what you have when you... At what stage is it pasteurized? It's pasteurized after seven to 10 days, generally, is when that can happen. Because the, f the first three stages really kind of go through that. Now, if they're going to not be pasteurized, which there's plenty of commercial uh, sauerkrauts that aren't, from what I understand, those must ferment for longer. Because you can't just put those out on a shelf or in a refrigerator because it might start to form alcohol content. Slight, but it would start because the yeasts um, would start to take over if all those sugars haven't been eaten up. And so that's what the that's what that third and sometimes it's referred to as a fourth stage where if it's not going to be pasteurized, you let it ferment for longer. Is it beneficial? Are there any is it just as healthy being pasteurized? Is it just as healthy? No, I mean, it's just like any other pasteurization that well, we talk what about. Was, that's why I'm so it's so it's not real sauerkraut. What is it's real? It's not like the live What sauerkraut. is real? It's not alive the same way. No, it's not living. It's just like any kind of pasteurization is sterilizing okay. a product. That's what I was trying to yes. just confirm. I did not. I guess I did not realize that, that the canned sauerkraut isn't really. Just like anything canned. It's all uh, enzymes and otherwise are, you know, it's depleted. Because heating up anything, to, especially for long periods of time, uh, or, you know, pasteurization in general, is about wiping out as much bacteria. Obviously, there's... Um, bacteria that survive or different things like that. And, you know, that's where you get the ultra pasteurized milk and different things like that are trying to make a completely self-stable product. But yes, sauerkraut is very shelf stable in general, 
but it's even more shelf stable once it's pasteurized. So that's why it makes sense. Don't buy it. No, it makes sense to commercial to make that. I mean, but yes, if you're if you're I guess wanting it for any kind of beneficial health reasons or I'd say taste reasons. I don't generally I like I like I'm almost certain my mom buys that cabbage to make her Croatian cabbage meals, which in Croatia, they ferment the cabbage properly at, at home. Mm-hmm. And then they just, for, I grew up them just killing all of that healthy bacteria because they cook it and make certain meals that it basically is cooked cabbage. There's, it's still delicious. It's just, there's no health benefit in it whatsoever. Well, I still still think it has some vitamin C. I don't know how much of that is lost in the heating process, but it's still, I mean, cabbage itself is is high in vitamin C. I mean, it was Captain Cook that won a a medal of honor or uh, was, what was it? The the Royal Society um, honored him because he is thought to have understood the vitamins or I don't know if they were referring to them as vitamins at that point or whatnot, but he understood that the benefits... Uh, from vitamin C in the cabbage and lemon syrup, I think is what it was that is purported that he was forcing his, um, his semen to, to eat in order to uh, not get scurvy, which lack of vitamin C can, can definitely be a part of. So, so yeah, so we basically, you know, there there's vitamin C is in cabbage. And then once you ferment it, it makes that vitamin C available for a longer period of time than just fresh vegetables, which obviously as Captain Cook was on sea voyage, there was no fresh vegetables. Um, So yeah, so basically with sauerkraut is one of the main three fermented foods in the United States. It's sauerkraut, pickles. Can you think of what the third one is? Olives. Yes. Olives. And, uh, a lot of the sauerkraut, I mean, all of the sauerkraut is real fermented food. Like you can't fake it. Like you can't pickle it. You can't do anything else. Pickles on the other hand, a large majority of those that are on the market are canned variety. They're hot vinegar poured onto cucumbers to create the pickling process, as opposed to fermenting those pickles, making sour pickles naturally fermentable even even if they are naturally fermented they're they're oftentimes still canned and um uh, heated up so they're they're not living pickles but they're still live pickles but a large majority of the pickles are just uh the canned variety as opposed to the fermented variety sauerkraut on the other hand is you know that's that's how you have to do it and same with same with olives from what i so none of those are they're all kind of losing it. They are they all losing their health benefits buying it from the store. It well, it depends like. on what health. I mean, again, if, if you're looking well, like for live, live active cultures, then no, you're not going to get that. Um, if if that's what you're looking for is live active cultures, you're not you're not going to you're you're not going to have that with well, anything would, that's pasteurized. Wouldn't you argue that the, the taste isn't the same? Even? Well, yes, because that's what I was talking about. Was that it's like seven to ten days? It's a young sauerkraut at that point. Um, you know, and that probably is different depending on the manufacturer, but you know, basically you don't really have to go any farther than that to get the sauerkraut, to get the sour cabbages. Um, but to get a, like a traditional sauerkraut, it's got to age for longer than that to eat up all the rest of the carbohydrates, all the rest of the sugars have to be eaten up so that yeast can't take over and create an alcoholic content to it. 
um, uh, so while it's sitting on the shelf or in the refrigerator. You've mentioned a crock that you're using to make sauerkraut. I've, I know you've made sauerkraut other ways. Do you want to share a different, different ways you've made sauerkraut and different ways other people can make it, um, such as in mason jars or, um, Sure. I mean, basically there's a lot of different ways you can make it. Um, and we'll get to one of the the simple ways of making it, um, soon. Um, but basically you, you just tread salt and let it sit. Obviously there's a little bit more to it. The, the, the cabbage variety is somewhat important. Different varieties of cabbage are going to have more carbohydrates or protein l- levels, and that's going to affect how it's fermenting. And some varieties, you know, may have different uh, balances of of lactic acid bacteria on them. But basically, you can try any kind of cabbage, but generally the white or red cabbage are good ones to start with. Just start with something simple. You know, if you're making kimchi or something like that, um, that's Napa cabbage. Kimchi is also a, a different product, even though it's basically the same process. You do things slightly differently. And, you know, one of the ways to think about sauerkraut versus kimchi, which we will get to in a future episode. Um, but kimchi is a carbonated kind of, it's bubbly. It's got more bubbles to it. Whereas sauerkraut is much, um, it's not bubbly, I guess, was, is, is, a, is a way to think about it. Um, also simpler, even though sauerkraut can have added ingredients and different things in it as well. But, but traditionally, it's just plain. I mean, Traditionally, it can have juniper berries in it or caraway seeds or different things like that, if you're talking about German um, variety. But yes, originally, you know, I, I mean, actually, I don't know. Originally, I mean, there's not exactly known originally where it all started, but but but... A, but cabbages started being fermented like we're talking thousands of years ago in Asia and possibly in other places they were adding rice wine to it and then in later times they were uh, they were taking they were shredding up cabbage and adding rice wine to it and other like um you know uh, other kinds of wine or or grape juice uh, soured grape juice or different things you know they were doing a lot of different additives to it when it actually became something where they just started adding salt is a little bit later on in history. It's like the uh, 15 to 16 um, hundreds. Uh, is, that, is that when it was introduced into Europe? It would have already been introduced into, to, into Europe before. Like, Are they um, the yeah, like 1500s is roughly when, I mean, it might've been the Tartars that brought it into Eastern um, Europe. Um, you know, that Russian, Tartarstan. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's kind of that, that region is, that's what, and it might've been that the the cabbage was packed with salt and that is how it was transported. Um, But obviously they must've picked up on preservation with salt is something that's happened before, but when preservation with salt to create fermentation process on vegetables is kind of mixed up. There's no exact, there's no exact things. I mean, because the first written words of sauerkraut itself are in French and it refers to it as a German product. Um, but obviously it has more of a history than that. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, in, in, in French, it's, it's a nice word too. Uh, I, again, I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly, but, uh, choucroute is the French version of, um, Sounds uh, right. sauerkraut, choucroute. 
And uh, yeah, it was, what was it? 1607 in La Tresser de Santi that the, it was first written about. And it was, uh, it wasn't mentioned in American English until 1776. Um, so obviously it may or may not have been written about that much, but, um, I was reading something where, um, it was stated that it's ironic that they say, you know, cabbage comes from Germany, which um, it is, it's, I mean, they eat quite a bit of, I, I think sauerkraut, but, or sauerkraut, not cabbage. Um, I think it's but, like the national, a national, a national food. I don't know if it's the national food, but in Germany. Yeah. It's still, I mean, is it? I think so. See, I thought, I don't know where I, I, it, because I know that it's very popular in Russia and, um, Poland as well. Yes. That's another place. I mean, I mean, even in, in Croatia, like I said, they eat quite a bit of it and make of, it. Of what? Kisli kupus? Kisli kupus. Yes. yes. Except that I, what I know is that they end up, you know, killing a lot of that live bacteria by cooking it, but it's still, they, which it's, isn't they, necessarily a bad thing because it tastes good. Oh, it, it's delicious. I mean, um, and they're still yes, eating the, the traditionally fermented. The stuff that I saw in Croatia was like, it, they sometimes come in bags or whatnot. Um, but that, that looked like it was, it wasn't pasteurized. So, well, no. Yeah. And, and yes, and they do ferment heads of cabbages too, not just shredded versions. Yeah. How does that work? Um, I, I mean, I don't know that much about it, but I, I just remember my mom doing that too. And so she did. So you saw her, it wasn't just doing the shredding and putting it in a barrel. Yeah. They did whole heads too. Um, I just remember the meals she made out of it. It was, it's this, um, it's a, they, like they peel off the the leaves and then, um, they, um, not fold, but they roll, um, ground meat in it and then they cook it and it's, it's very good. It's like stuffed pepper, except it's using the leaves from a sauerkraut, um, to, um, and then stuffing it with meat. But so in my family, they made the heads of cabbages for that, that meal mainly. And I'm sure they've used it for other stuff. And then with the shredded cabbage, they, um, they just made it's, it's, it's literally called kisili kupus meal, but they just would cook um, a pot of um, sauerkraut with um, like pig legs and, and to add flavor to it. And then they also would add bacon, smoked bacon, and you'd eat the bacon once it's cooked, but it, it's a very delicious winter meal. And then you eat it with potatoes as a side instead of bread. And, um, but yes, there, it kills the live cultures and everything, but the meal itself is just one of those like very delicious, hearty meals. Yes. And in, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, you're, you're losing out on the live active cultures, which can help with digestion. And I mean, because sauerkraut is in general, a, a condiment or an ingredient in food. So when it's used as a condiment, you're getting those live active cultures, you know, with the brat or otherwise, and, you know, it makes the, the meat easier to digest the bread, easier to digest different things like that. I don't think you get those when it's when it's cooked. cooked like that, but it's still, it's about the taste. Sauerkraut just tastes good. Whether you're adding stuff to it or adding it to something else to be cooked with later. Have you ever had cooked sauerkraut? Yes, I have had cooked sauerkraut and it tastes good. Okay. I just did not know that. Yes. I, um, do you have a preference? I like sauerkraut all kinds of different ways. I just like those sour kind of flavors. Um, so I like it. I like it. Again, as an ingredient or otherwise. I mean, I, especially if if a person is fermenting sauerkraut at home and if you do larger batches or just ferment often, you know, it's not like it needs to be a, 
I mean, unless someone's specifically doing it for a specific kind of diet that they're following, I say eat sauerkraut, eat any kind of fermented anything, any which way. I mean, I make yogurt soups and different things too, which kills some of it. I usually add a little bit of the yogurt after it started to cool down temperatures so that, you know, still get some of that live active culture, but it's okay to just cook it. I mean, if it tastes good, some of this is just about the taste. It's fun to make it at home and then to, you know, experiment with it. Yeah. I mean, some of those bacteria are willing, it's okay to sacrifice some of them because you're still going to get a lot in your gut. If you start fermenting things at home, going to eat a lot of it. And plus just tasting the sauerkraut to see if it's ready. I mean, even that's just giving you a whole bunch of micro microflora to go into the, the or just belly. experimenting with different flavors, spices. Um, yes. Oh, and that was one thing that I had just uh, recently seen in an article just from a day or two ago that was uh, regarding a recommendation to add dried herbs, ideally whole herbs. So like take them from your garden or, or, you know, from a store and dry them yourself. I guess you could do as well, but taking dried herbs as opposed to fresh herbs actually uh, ferment better with the sauerkraut and make for a better flavor as opposed to using fresh herbs, um, which I guess makes sense because, you know, you're just, when it's dried, you're just getting more of the flavor as opposed to it adding, um, you know, much else. I don't, I don't know. I think in the slow. I read that article too, um, but also even some dry um herbs don't ferment well. So it's one of those things that you'd experiment oh, with. Oh yeah, you definitely definitely have um, to experiment with. But do you remember what that person was uh the, we'll, the we'll, add, we'll add that into the, the show notes. It's a it's a specific place that ferments uh and sells sauerkraut. And and they specialize in selling um sauerkraut that isn't just plain. They 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 play around with spices and herbs and um I think they have one that's like a, a hot chili. What was it? Hot chili? Uh, it was jalapeno. Jalapeno yeah. flavor. Um, oh, yeah. It was uh, Catherine Lucas of Farmhouse Culture. I have not tried that sauerkraut, but it looks pretty good. Um, I can't find it anywhere locally, though, so I'd have to order it online if, I, if we're ever going to try it. But it might be a good thing to try. Um, so we'll we'll have that that article in the in the show notes. It's a nice interview with, with someone that, you know, makes a lot of sauerkraut. And all kinds of it, I guess, not just the plain sauerkraut. Although I, I think plain sauerkraut is very, very delicious. But to be honest, I mean, you really don't see um, other kinds of sauerkraut around anywhere anyway. So. Um, oh yeah, it's actually well. I mean, it, uh, it was. But back- in the United States, though, like it's not really a place where people consume a lot of sauerkraut, is it? I mean, I wouldn't. Well, I, I don't it, know. I don't know any really friends started- that really, or any people I talk with that necessarily eat sauerkraut or. It supposedly really started declining in the 60s and 70s um, is when it first started really kind of going in. You eat a lot less of it. I forget how much I was just looking at some uh, data on. uh, I don't know how updated the the data was, but like something like 0.4 kilograms per person person or per capita or like however that that works per per year. Uh, So definitely a, a lot less, whereas like, you know, in Germany, they eat a little bit more and, um, kimchi in Asia though, you know, talking about like four kilograms as opposed to 0.04 or 0.4 kilograms on average per person. That's like 120 grams a a day for, for kimchi eating, um, people in, in Korea, Korea on average. So yeah, definitely not as many people are eating it. I mean, of course, I don't know where these statistics come from off the top of my head. I have to look back, but 
either way, I'm sure they're more commercial things. So who knows how many people are going under the radar with fermenting. Um, That's true. At home. Uh, fermenting such. at home versus, versus uh, it's definitely becoming more popular to ferment at home. Uh, and it's super simple. Like basically what we were talking about, you know, you, you, and getting more to the, the, well, the, there is more to fermenting, though. I think you should mention it's simple, but there are yeah, like, ups and downs. I mean, the temperature or the how much salt um, if it has to be spread evenly. So I think you should mention some of that so that people do realize it, it's simple and anyone can make it. But if if you encounter some um, unpleasant flavors or soft kraut, there there's a reason for it. And yeah, there definitely should. is, and uh, and so like. Your original question from a long time ago was like, how do you make it? Like, what, oh, yeah. what, how can a person really make it themselves? And then we'll get into the troubleshooting of like what went wrong if something does go wrong. But if you really follow a recipe for making it and you pay attention to temperature, then you really should get a good quality product as long as you started with good, fresh cabbage. And spread the salt evenly. Yes. So basically what you do is you... Um, Let's just start with a quart mason jar because that's a very popular size to ferment in. And anyone can ferment in it or anyone can get that mason jar. Yeah. So take a quart mason jar, get, you know, roughly um, two pounds uh, or well, not roughly get measure out two pounds of cabbage, which is roughly, you know, anywhere from one and a half to three cabbages or four, I guess, depending, but depending on size, but basically weight is going to be the best way to go by this. So, you know, roughly two pounds um, of cabbage, uh, or fine, like get two pounds of cabbage. That's, what's going to fit inside of a uh, mason jar. Once you chop it up and it seems like a lot, especially after you chop it all up. But as soon as you add that salt to like it, one gallon mason jar, though, correct? No, a, a quart mason a quart. jar. Oh, I'm we're talking sorry. a quart. I'm thinking a gallon the whole time we're saying a quart. No, a gallon's large and that is actually harder to find. Although I have seen one recently at Target, although it has like an old traditional lid. So it's more for like decoration, I think, than actual use. But go ahead. I apologize. So you start with that quart mason jar, chop up two pounds of cabbage, add four tablespoons. Of, oh, no. Four teaspoons. Add four teaspoons of salt. I was going to say. Sounds a four little tablespoons too much. would be for a much larger batch. So four teaspoons of salt. And then... The magic really happens again when you're surprised at how much water comes out of that thing. Put mix that salt into a bowl. You can even let it rest for a few minutes, or, or you know, you mean ten, mix twenty the minutes. Cabbage and the salt in a bowl. Yes. Okay. So you take that shredded cabbage, two pounds of shredded cabbage, four tablespoons. Again, not tablespoons. <laughs> four teaspoons. Is Everyone's going to remember this. Is there a recipe that, that that calls for four tablespoons? No, I just can't get the teaspoon. <laughs> the tablespoon just wants to roll off my tongue. So everyone's going to remember this by the end of this podcast. Four teaspoons of salt to two pounds of cabbage, because that is roughly two point two five percent, and that's what has been found by the scientists, by the commercial manufacturers. That's really kind of the ideal. To ratio. create ratio to create that perfect progression for the bacteria that we talked about earlier. Which and you can basically use anywhere from, if you like less salt, use a little bit less salt. If you like more salt, add a little bit more salt. But if you follow that guideline there, you're going to be good to go. You know, your, your, your sauerkraut 
unless it gets contaminated somehow, which generally doesn't happen, you're going to end up with good sauerkraut. As long sauerkraut. as it's covered in brine. Yes, we haven't gotten that far yet. But basically, uh, 2.25%. You can go anywhere from 2 to 3% very easily. You can go down to like, um, you know, 0.8 or, but no more than 3% salt to cabbage ratio. And so... You know that that's kind of the range. So I mean, you you have a, you have a flexibility. Basically, start with the four for for a quart mason jar. Start with the four teaspoons, teaspoons, four teaspoons, and then um, see how you uh, like see how you like that. If it's too much, if it's too salty, just for your next batch, try something a little bit less. But as we'll get into later, we'll know we'll we'll get into what happens if you don't add enough salt. Like what happens to your sauerkraut. But basically. Once you have the cabbage and the salt mixed up in a bowl. Oh, the other thing to remember is it's easier just to core it, to take the core out. You can add that to it if you want, unless you're looking for something that's just very nicely thin and clean completely. I usually add it in, um, but I'll also uh, throw in one technique that I use if I am using a mason jar, which also is very helpful uh, to use that core. So keep that core whole if you can too. So just... Like cut the, I like to cut it into to four sections and get that core out of there. But basically um, put the core off to the side, shred the cabbage, add the salt in the bowl, mix that all together. And then that water's just going to start kind of forming in there. That's why I said you can let it sit for a little while. And a lot of that will happen naturally through osmosis. The water will start releasing from the, the plant walls. But then really what you want to do is break those, uh, um, the walls of the, the cell walls of the, of the cabbage. And so taking a bat or they, they make actual, um, tamper sticks for it specifically for it. Um, but I say again, like we were talking about before, just use fist, hand, spoon, anything, anything will work as long as it's clean. Um, you know, the environment that we're creating is, is pretty hardy. So, I mean, even if it wasn't completely clean, but again, keep it clean, but you know, this is, this is pretty, pretty strong process. that's about to happen, but we're going to Basically, break those cellular walls, break down, release all that water from there. You're going to see, like, uh, massage it. That's the other way. Actually, that's actually, now that I'm, uh, like, I'll generally do that at first. I'll massage it. So basically just keep grabbing fistfuls of cabbage and squeezing well, and, and squeezing and squeezing. Way. Well, yeah, you want to make sure the salt's mixed up at first. Like, you want to get that before you even start squeezing because after you start squeezing, it's going to be a little bit harder to mix up. So get that salt mixed up first with the hands, with the spoon, however you want to do it. Just make sure it's... Um, spread throughout because otherwise you could create little um, micro ecosystems of pockets without much salt, which, you know, bacteria is pretty tiny. It doesn't need much space to create an ecosystem that could start harboring bad bacteria or different things. So that's really important. Get that salt mixed up and then start massaging it, start squeezing it, start pounding on it, however you want to do it, but get that water out of that cabbage. And you'll see kind of just through trial and error, how long it takes to get to that point, but it takes up so much less space once it gets to this point, because all the water's released. It's still the, the lettuce is still, or the cabbage is still going to be crispy. So, so you uh, recommend doing this in a bowl though first. I, yeah, because otherwise you're, uh, yeah, I mean, because yeah, otherwise I, you're not really going to be able to manipulate the cabbages as easily. Yes, you could, if you're doing, especially a larger batch, you can tamp it just directly into there and it will kind of break it down. But then you, you still have to make sure it's mixed up well. And the easiest way to make sure it's mixed up is just put it into a bowl and get it all mixed up before doing this. So, And especially if you're dealing with a quart-sized mason jar, you have to kind of mix it up outside of it. So yes, mix it true. up in, inside of a bowl. Mix up that salt. Tamp it down. Break up those cellular walls. 
get it so that it's it's the the water has been released and then you know that that can take anywhere from a couple minutes to 10 minutes depending on on how vigorously you want to to squeeze those uh those slices of of cabbage then what you start doing is packing it into that quart mason jar and so you put that in there keep pressing it down you might have to use a spoon if you're using a wide mouth mason jar depending on um the size of your your hands or fingers you can put those in and start pressing down on it and basically you just want to you you don't want any air pockets because air pockets are not what we want because air is aerobic uh fermentation we want anaerobic fermentation so we don't want any air and so we're going to press that down and then we're going to um you know as it gets up to the top you'll start to see that like if you haven't you're probably already adding some water to it just by putting those things. It's going to get a little messy. You know, you make a little mess. It's okay. And then you just are, if you still have water in the bottom of the bowl, pour that in and then just press it down. You can also, if you're using a wide mouth mason jar, you can use a, um, you know, if you have one of those wooden tamper things, tamp it in even farther. You really want to push that down, but you just, it's really important. Get that pushed down. Um, And so there's no air pockets. You can use a small, pint mason jar is what I was going to say. You can push down with that to get it nice and flat. Then basically, as long as the salt brine that was created through releasing the waters from the cabbage, as long as that is um, above the liquid, you're good to go. You could, if you wanted to, just put a cap on it um, and check on it every day and just push down any cabbage that rises above the water every day with clean fingers use clean fingers and just push it down that is a little bit more work intensive method of doing it now this is where you could use the technique of the core so if you take the core of the cabbage and you know probably about an inch to an inch and a half in length chop that off so you just have a core about that size um so basically the core it's just basically having something that's nice and um firm and the other thing I forgot to tell you about was at the beginning, take one of those outer leaves and cut a circle in it. And then basically, so you have a, a circular piece of pieces, take about four pieces of leaves that are it circles, the size of the wide mouth Mason jar lid or the skinny mouth Mason jar, if you're using a skinny one. So take that, cut that in half and then put it inside on top. Once you get all the cabbage packed in, if this is not making any sense, just visualize all the cabbage being pressed in. And then you put that um, those half circles inside the mason. Like basically you're, you're creating a plate of cabbage leaves to cover the top of the cabbage. And then you're taking this core that is going to press up against the lid of the mason jar and press down on those that plate of Cabbage leaves. Which will then keep the cabbage underneath the water. Keep the cabbage under the water. So that's the key. You want to keep the cabbage under the water. Otherwise, you're going to get some mold that forms on top. Generally, mold forms anyway with sauerkraut, especially if you're making larger batches. Just wipe it off. It'll all be okay. Some people even stir it in. And, you know, it's not going if, to... If it's white molds, you should be fine. Colored molds, like uh, bright colored molds, definitely run away from those. But you're not going to get those from sauerkraut. So, um... Definitely, um, I wouldn't be too concerned because it's just part of like you, you, you might get a little funk on the top of it. 
Um, just skim it off the scum, the sauerkraut scum. Just because the skim it off. Sauerkraut's still protected underneath its brine. Or? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Even if you get some of the leaves, they get some mold on them. Pull off the leaves and or the the cabbage parts that have it on there, and you'll be you'll be good to go. But basically, you if you leave that, if you do the core with the cabbage plate on top and leave it like that, you know, it's gonna um, you you'll you the one thing you will want to go back to do is release. During that second phase, that gaseous phase, that heterolactic phase where a lot of gas, carbon dioxide is being um, released, you're going to want to burp that mason jar. Make sure it gets that gas out because otherwise you could have an explosion, um, which is something I would like to do at some point just to see like how dangerous it really is. Like, you know, do they really explode? Um, I just want to see. So maybe we'll do an experiment sometime and record a Has no one ever record done a video. That? No, I'm, I, I, I've read or, or and heard oh, that, that people happens, that, it, that it can explode. I just want to I want to see really would sauerkraut really build up enough or any kind of fermented vegetables really build up enough um, to, to make it explode. So maybe we'll do some like time lapse video camera, something or other and, and try and capture it on on camera as it explodes if it wasn't burped. So don't try that at home, though. Basically, you want to release that, but you know, you can eat sauerkraut at any point. Some people really love sauerkraut at a couple days. Just Others are going it. to, yeah, you can, that's the great thing about doing it at home too. Try it at different stages. Now, if you're going for like a fully fermented product, it's going to take um, a couple weeks at least. Um, the warmer it is, the faster it's going to ferment. And now that comes to our first troubleshooting side of things. If you end up with some sauerkraut, you know, let's say that bubbled after a day or two and it like vigorously was bubbling it 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 did that and it fermented and then it, you know it dulled in color because you lose that bright green aspect of cabbage and it goes to a duller um yellowish color but let's say you try it it's like well this doesn't taste like sauerkraut that i've had before if it kind of has a harsh flavor or just an off flavor, it might have fermented too fast. And that can happen for... Um, so that would be as a result of high temperatures? If it's if it's too high of a temperature, like if it's above 80 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to, you know, maybe you'll like that taste. And so then definitely go for it if, if that is. But what you're doing is you're kind of skipping one of the phases or, or, or speeding through one of the phases. Um, higher temperatures are better for homolactic bacteria. So that, that third stage of bacteria, that's what the, like they're going to come on faster. So uh, I guess would be the easiest way to say it. So what you're going to get is a slightly less, um, what I would say flavorful, like the flavor profile really like the slower you can let it build up, the longer you can let it ferment. Not lowering below 50 degrees because that's too cold for the bacteria. But if, if, if it's above between 50 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to be good to go. Should be. Um, but anything too hot, it's just going to it's going to ferment too fast for like a nice um, complex flavor profile. You might like it. Give it a try. Experiment. But if it's too much salt. It could also have those same kind of harsh flavors. There's one other thing that can happen with too much salt. If you put more than 3% salt, if you really love salt so much that you're just, or you're not measuring and you're just ex like guessing and you end up with a pink sauerkraut, that is due to a yeast. It starts with an R. I can't think of it right off the top of my head. 
but that is due to a yeast that um, that comes that is that has a good environment from too much salt. So basically, you you want to create a good environment for this stuff, and it's not that difficult. But if you add too much salt, too much heat, you're going to get harsh flavors, possibly pink sauerkraut. If it's too low of temperatures, you're or not enough salt. Like if you're below 0.8, yeah, if you're like, you can definitely do sauerkraut with very little salt. Got to regulate temperatures, do different things. That's a whole different topic to talk about, like very low sodium sauerkraut. But basically, low temperatures or not enough salt, you might get a mushy, soft kraut. And I believe that's happened to you before. I... It has. So I think that that was too little salt because I did not... Um, that was one... So you don't like your salt. No, it's not that I don't like salt. It's that I just didn't... Uh, I just thought I'd be quick and not wasn't really paying attention while I was doing it. Um, yeah, I ended up with a soft, mushy kraut. And it was not good. 7.5 liters, not gallons, 7.5 liters of mushy kraut is kind of disappointing. You yeah. can cook with it, but that's about, I mean, it doesn't Pretty taste. Pretty much the only thing you could do. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of disappointing. So uh, that's the downside of making larger batches. It's usually better to pay attention to what's going on um, or definitely experiment with smaller batches first. It's just, a, it's a great way to think. The especially, only th- especially when experimenting with herbs or spices and such. I would highly recommend starting out in a small batch first to make sure it's going to taste good. You're going to like it and then make a big batch. Unless you're going with like juniper berries or caraway seeds. I mean, those are so traditional. Those have been done. I mean, that's not anything like fancy schmancy. So, well, I mean, unless you find a recipe too, then yeah. But if, if you're just simply doing something on your own where it's, Oh, I just want to try this and see if it works. That's where I would recommend. Unless you have access to a, a lot of cabbages and a lot of salt. Um, and, and uh, before we, before we move on one other thing, the pretty much the only other thing that's going to happen with your cabbage is, uh, if it, you get a slimy or ropey texture, you've got, it was contaminated by some other bacteria and, and that's, that's uh, what, you mean like from dirty hands or something outside of the, could have been on the cabbage, could have been a lot of different reasons. Basically that the slimy or ropey texture is our specific bacteria, that would be causing it, but why you're having that happen. Um, you know, yes, uh, sanitation would be the first place to look at. Just make sure that everything's clean generally. Um, but you're saying it's not due to too much or too little. salt. Yeah. If you're getting that, that's an anomaly. That's something that you just want to like really kind of just follow. If you're a little bit more casual with your fermentation, which I just recommend if you're not interested in experimenting or doing a bunch of stuff and you just generally want to have fun with it, then, you know, don't be too strict if you don't want to be, but if you want to be strict, you know, use that 900 grams of cabbage with that 20 grams of salt, which is going to give you that 2.2. I think that's five. About, I think that's about 2.22. Um, but you know, 2.25% salt, just start with that. Go in either direction, 2%, 3%. You know, if you like more salt, like a little bit less salt, if you got to go really less salt, definitely look online for some different options for, for low sodium sauerkraut and, uh, the, downsides and benefits of that because you're going to get a different flavor if you use less salt i mean really if you want ideal flavor just just try the 2.25 percent um that's it that's that's pretty much all there is there is to it i mean there's not there's not there's not a whole lot more like yeah i mean basically the difference is is when you want to get into something more uh you want to make a larger batch you can do it croatian style get a large wooden barrel um 
people have fermented in large garbage cans. I don't know if I'd want to do that. It's funny because I have this memory and I will have to check with my family, my mother, but of me stepping on cabbage and with my bare feet to press it down. Kind of like grapes and yeah, wine. But I think it was cabbage and I'll have to confirm that. Yeah, that's uh that sounds about right. I mean I don't I don't see why you why... have clean feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean I actually I think I've even uh, even heard that or read that before too that that's something that you know wash the kids feet and have them stomp on in it's definitely a, definitely a way to do it definitely a way to involve kids in fermentation process and so the other ways if you do want to do it besides a big barrel or um, a big kiddie pool with your children stomping in it hey, this is isn't a was what i was talking about was a with, that i've used the 7.5 liter harsh crock you can get larger or smaller harsh crocks um the nice thing about this size crock is that you can do whole heads of cabbage as well. And um, that's, that's definitely, you know, an, an option to try. There is more risk involved. Not yes, there is more risk involved of contamination or whatnot. If you're using whole head cabbage, because it takes longer to ferment, but that's an, another topic. Um, but basically shredding it, adding the salt, that's the simplest way to do it. And there's many different vessels. Basically you can do it in anything. Keep that kraut submerged. The thing that the harsh crock does is it has stone. It's a ceramic pot basically with a lid that creates an airlock through creating a, 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 a little, what's the, um, a moat, a moat around of water that holds the, where the lid weights down on the water and basically makes an airlock in it. That one and then it has stones on the inside to hold the cabbage down. And and so basically any way you can keep the cabbage down, you're good to go. Sounds great. So just remember, shred, salt, and let sit. 